0: Have you ever experienced less than ideal professional culture or wondered how you could be showing up as a more effective leader maybe you've had the experience of an amazing working culture and would even like to know how you can help to create them for yourself this is podfluence the show that helps you grow your influence and income with podcasts my name is john ball and my mission is to help you, the self-employed business coach, to grow your influence and income now so that you can have a continuously thriving coaching business. That said, if you are a service-based solopreneur, this content can undoubtedly help you too. A quick message about this particular episode. I realized recently that I had a bunch of episodes that I recorded before I took a hiatus from the show, before I took a full-time job on last year. And before I rebranded and repurposed the podcast into Podfluence, some of them are somewhat still related to the topic, like today's where really it's a, a coaching and kind of leadership topic. Some of them a bit less so, but they're still interesting discussions on topics like negotiation skills and nootropics. I think you're going to still want to hear them. So my plan is to bring them to you as bonus episodes. It's going to take a while to get them because I want to bring you the most relevant content, the stuff that really is going to give you the biggest bang for your buck in terms of growing your influence, your impact and your income as quickly as possible. I think you're going to get a lot of value from this episode and I hope you'll enjoy it. My guest on this episode is Tracy Tutty. Tracy is a herbalist, an accountant and performance coach based in New Zealand who I was privileged to be able to serve in a coaching capacity for several years. And I got super excited when I saw that Tracy was on LinkedIn talking about influence and persuasion, which was when I reached out to her to chat and see if there was an episode there for us to put together, which there was. So in this episode, Tracy helps to answer what does it take to create psychological safety in a work environment and a positive, non-toxic working culture? And how can we, as leaders, be more ethically and effectively influential and persuasive? If you have your device in your hand right now, then do me a quick favor and click the plus sign on Apple Podcasts or Spotify at the top of the screen or whatever you have to subscribe on your preferred listening platform so that you can get weekly updates of Podfluence as they drop. So, pop in your ear and let's get things started
1: welcome to podfluence the podcast for business coaches and professional speakers who want to build audience and authority through podcasts here's your host international coach and speaker john ball
0: welcome to podfluence i am really happy to be speaking to someone who i've worked with before in the past and and we thankfully have stayed in touch. And the tables are turning a bit now from me being the consultant to her being the consultant. And so, welcome to the show, Tracy Tutty.
1: Thanks, Johnny. It's a pleasure to be back with you.
0: Great. It's a real delight to speak to you. And I really enjoyed working with you before. And I'm certainly very glad that we've kept in some level of contact, even if it's just the old LinkedIn posts and stuff. That one thing that I particularly wanted to get in touch with you is because you were posting some stuff on LinkedIn about influence and persuasion. I thought, oh, I need to speak to Tracy about that. And we ended up having a bit of a deeper chat about it. And so we're going to be talking about influence and persuasion as a service. And I'm really looking forward to having that conversation with you. So (laughs) let's get into talking about why we are talking about influence and persuasion as a service. Where does that start for you?
1: For me, it stems from the fact that, you know, and I think we've really come close to understanding this even more over the last couple of years, that one of the things that we as as people, as humanity, we really need to feel that connection. And connection is about feeling seen, it's about feeling heard, and it's about feeling understood. And for me, influence and persuasion comes from that act of service, that act of I see you, I hear you, I'm really doing my best to understand where you're coming from and so that's the way that I think of influence and persuasion.
0: And you've been relating that specifically to service-based businesses like you mentioned to me Mm -hmm. that you have had a a coaching program where you talk about this tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Sure so I have this coaching program it's called the corporate sage effect it brings through my background as a medical herbalist I'm also a well, a chartered accountant, I must confess, and also lead a lot of teams as well. And so what, what the corporate sage effect does is it works with drained managers and it supports them in becoming that corporate magician. You know, that person you see at work and you're like, how does she do it? How does she get it all done? How does she look like she's having a good time? And how is she helping her team to be so effective? And one of the things that we talk about, of course, is in addition to having the the toolkit to be a great manager, you also need to be working with your body and taking care of yourself because managing teams is an Olympic sport.
0: It's, it certainly is. So, so take us through some some of the elements. Is like, what what is it that most people don't really know in service based businesses about influence and persuasion, or or maybe are just getting wrong?
1: Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing that we're missing. Uh, well the thing that I'm seeing the most that is the biggest contributor to drain managers is making it okay to take care of ourselves making sure that we have the energy to be there for our team making sure that we have the energy to be listening to be noticing those cues not just in our own teams but across teams within the organization as well and I think you know that ability to take care of ourselves first and to feel good about that it's something that really contributes even more to an organization because if you have a whole lot of high functioning high energized relaxed calm happy people you're going to have a productive organization
0: yeah and, and we know that burnout is a big issue for people right? and, and is an increasingly common issue that probably isn't being tackled anywhere near as effectively as it could be or should be
1: that's right. And one of the sad things is that a lot of the people that I'm working with, they're coming to me because they don't want their managers to know. you know. And it's part of that change that we really need to see in this world where it's okay to put your hand up and say, hey, I need some help, and to not have that count against you.
0: Yeah. This is, I, I think, often one of the biggest issues we have in, in life. <laughs> and it is certainly something that I see as a blockage to influence and persuasion in general because it takes people out of being able to be their authentic selves and Mm. trying to be something that maybe they're not but maybe nobody can be and I, i don't know if you maybe have had a similar experience to me and this is something i often refer to on my show but when i very first got into the world of personal development there were quite a lot of people around who seemed to be teaching that you had to effectively become a type A personality and overachiever. you had to become a complete go-getter getting up at 4 30 every morning and then going and doing your two-hour morning routine and that's that's how champions start the day and there are still people are still people teaching that but I also know many, many successful people who do none of that. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, is is that really essential? Is it, If you are not if you are not this sort of uh, champion person having your feedback for breakfast and doing all this stuff, can you still be successful? The answer is yes. Um, yeah. That it's, it's interesting that we tend to think, well, you're supposed to at least show up as that. And I think, especially in the corporate world, there is this role of how we're supposed to see people or how are we supposed to project an image that is supposed mm-hmm. to be a strong leader that has no chinks in their armor and mm-hmm. uh, and it was completely invulnerable and that is damaging
1: yeah you're so right and there's also that aspect about you know work life and home life and work life balance where yeah. this presupposition is that home doesn't affect work and work doesn't affect home and that you have these two distinct lives it's almost like You have two distinct identities, which, as you say, is stopping you from being your truly authentic self. And it's not about a work life and a home life. It's about a life. And it's about how we find that balance as well.
0: Do you think that over the couple of years that we've just had with COVID and everything like that, that a lot of people or more people have woken up to this?
1: I think so and I think in the beginning it was difficult because we were still trying to be our old corporate selves at home and then something magical happened where it became okay to have the kids peering over your shoulder when you're in that meeting or the cat walking across the screen or the dog coming into the room and we became more human and so it's been it's been a really tough couple of years you know especially with the amount of home working if your home's not set up for it and I think also it's helping to peel back those layers and to help us discover who we really are, and also to get to know the people that we work with on a more human basis.
0: Yeah, uh, who doesn't want to be seen as more human? And you know, I, I often think there's there's always danger in this of how we are perceived and how we are perceiving other people, and and our perceptions tend to be very one or two dimensional. We don't uh, we see a thin slice of a person. If we think we see a whole person, but we we make a lot of assumptions based on that, we basically make our whole judgment of who that person is, and yet we see a very smaller part of who they are we don't really know and so there's all assumption 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 going on, and there's an element as well to which you are leading or triggering those assumptions often in professional environments to get people to think certain ways and and see why this this is potentially unhealthy for people but I'm I'm wondering what what difference we need to make and how we start making that difference
1: yeah it's such a good question is it I think I think fundamentally it comes from that that act of courage Mm -hmm. that comes from showing who we really are because like you say you know we're presenting these images of who we think we should be and on the other side we're receiving those images of who we think they think we should be but actually it's more a reflection Mm of who we think we are, based on what we're judging about the other person. And so I think really the first step is understanding that it actually takes a lot of energy to carry that persona. And even though letting go of that armour might be a scary thought or you know that act of courage, that first small step, if you get to the place where you trust yourself enough to be you, it actually takes a whole lot less energy to be yourself at work than to pretend to be the person you think you're supposed to be.
0: It's, it's fascinating to me that I've learned, because I, I read a lot of psychology and articles and spend a lot of time studying this, that people, going for interviews for for professional jobs, mm-hmm. it's actually beneficial to, when we when somebody asks you those, those horrible interview questions like what's your biggest weakness or something like that, to actually give something that is a weakness, not not something that is catastrophic perhaps, but something that is a genuine weakness, or admit or, or own up to a mistake or show how you've learned from that because it makes you seem more real. But also, yeah. it gives that element of self awareness that you actually know yourself and you recognize, you know, I'm not perfect because this sort of thing of, uh, what's your greatest weakness? Oh, I'm a perfectionist. Okay, <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's yeah. they sort of, <laughs> yeah, those sort of stock answers that people give they don't tell you anything they just tell you oh I've been prepping for this interview and I'm not going to show you who I yeah. really am. And I got I got asked in an interview situation not that long ago. Um what if if I didn't get a role what did I think would be my reason for not getting it? And in one sense I thought it was a horrible question because it's like it was, like, <laughs> it was a, a, like a group interview kind of situation. And I didn't want to give an honest answer to the group. But because I sort of think, it's not that I don't have self-awareness, but the reasons why I don't think I would get this job are not something I want to share with a whole group of people who I don't know. So I I felt very very unfair in that situation, but I wasn't willing to let myself be vulnerable even for that position. (laughs) So I see even then I I held back. I, I perhaps protected myself from what a whole bunch of people who don't know me and never will know me might think about me And, um, and, and maybe, maybe uh, that was something that showed that I didn't, or maybe didn't have that self awareness, Where perhaps I do, I just didn't want to really be that vulnerable in front of a, Mm -hmm. in front of that group of people. So it's it's interesting how much we will or won't allow ourselves to be vulnerable in certain situations, because I could see in a one-to-one situation, I would have answered that question probably quite honestly. Uh, sort of, if I felt safe to answer it. But we do have to feel safe to yeah. be ourselves in in these environments to allow that vulnerability. And so there has to be a culture of safety. And maybe a big part of the problem is there isn't that culture of safe, be, feeling safe to be vulnerable.
1: Mm. I think you're so right. And I love that, you know, because because when you're in a room with strangers, you don't have that at the risk of overusing that, that sort of undercover happy word. You don't have that circle of trust. And so, you know, we go into that defensive role, which is something that not only is quite a natural, understandable thing to do, but it's something that we're also taught to do. And it's interesting because, like you say, if it was a one-to-one situation, you probably would have answered differently. And it's, you know, like when I think about the people that I've hired when I've been the hiring manager, when I'm asking questions like that, it's funny because as the candidate, you're like, oh, I I only want to show this amount of vulnerability. I don't want to show that part of myself but actually as an interviewer you can see it in the body language and what you're looking for is that agile person who has that emotional intelligence who has that self-awareness who has that ability to learn it's those things that we don't want to show that the hiring person is actually looking for most and what's going to make you stand out in the interview as well
0: yeah i I think this this could easily be a, a whole rabbit hole to dive into but i want to get to some other elements with you tracy because uh I've talked a lot on my show. I'm going to be coming up to 150 episodes soon. There's a lot. There's a there's a lot of talk <laughs> that's been happening here. Uh, but I talked. I've, I've I've talked a lot on my show about influence and persuasion as an individual, and, and we're going to talk about influence and persuasion as a service. So I want to bring us back to that and why that's so important.
1: Yeah, it comes back to connection. You know, it comes back to that fundamental need that we have as a person to be seen to be heard and to be understood so you know when you're in an environment where you need to persuade someone it's not about putting yourself in a position where it's like okay here's my checklist I need to persuade this person now the fact is that if you've been serving that person if you've been listening to them if you've been seeing them if you've been attempting to understand them you're already able to influence them and you're already providing that service because they're feeling heard, they're feeling seen, they're feeling understood, and so they feel validated as a person. And so there's that natural camaraderie between you and you naturally want to help each other out. And so it makes that persuasion model so much, so much more honest and authentic because it's about, you know, I, I, I understand what's going on in your world and you understand what's going on in my world And there's this thing that I think that we could work on together and I know how it could benefit me and I understand how it could benefit you because you put that groundwork in. you know, people, people see everything, you know, influence isn't something that just happens on a Monday or a Friday. It's like all day, every day.
0: Yeah. And I think that's easily forgotten in, in our professional lives. It's like we are a whole person and how we show up or how we act, how we interact. In fact, I'm actually listening to a, a, an audiobook at the moment that's all about body language. It's an interesting subject. It's a series of books that I've decided to study and listen to about body language and understanding it. Nice. And it's it's fascinating. It's eye-opening. It's fascinating. It's, it's nothing that's saying, oh, if somebody does this, that means that. It's like, It could mean that. And, and it sort of shows you what to look for and signs and context and you know, all these things that you have to put together. And I've had some body language experts on the show before, which, is, you know, is a super interesting area. But uh, mm. but certainly understanding how we put each other at ease or how we create uh, the those relationships and allow people to feel trusted. And there are things that we do consciously in order to do that. And there are things that we do unconsciously, but it's all communication and yeah. it's all happening all the time. And, uh, and so we need to ideally understand that so that we can make sure we are communicating more effectively but i you know i'm getting sort of taken back to not just my chat with mark Bowden, which is, he's a body language expert, which is, is incredibly enlightening but also my chat with a lady called natalie clean where we talked about relationship marketing because a lot of similar themes came up there with that in terms of under being understanding each other being seen what are the things that you feel that business service, business owners need to be thinking about and doing to create that kind of emotion and environment and trust? I
1: think if you're looking at it from the perspective of I'm an employer and I have employees, I think one of the most valuable things you can do is get to know what your employees value. What matters to them? Why are they there? And what's the deeper purpose behind what they're doing? Because we could be doing any job, And as long as it fulfills two to three of our values, we feel content. And if we feel content, we want to give more to the organization. We want to see that organization succeed because it's meeting a deeper need within ourselves. And so by doing that, what you're helping the organization to do is, well, first of all, you're reducing staff attrition. You're improving the health and well-being of your staff by helping them to feel cared for and helping them to feel that what they do on a daily basis matters, which has a huge impact not just on their mental health but also on their immunity. Um, And then you're also taking that a little bit broader where you're encouraging your employees to see your customers in the same way. So if your customers can understand that the organisation sees what matters most to them, not just to make a sale, but from a general, genuine perspective of service and caring, it makes a huge difference to the life of that organization. And so the organization's not only contributing to the customers, but it's also helping their employees to feel fulfilled within their work.
0: Now, that's interesting. I mean, from, um, even from a business owner perspective, as someone who has worked for myself for quite a long time now. I think very few people consider their own values and fulfillment because they often will get focused on this, it's all about making money. And, like, okay, yeah. some people, that is a top value, right? But, and it's certainly an important thing in business that you shouldn't forget about. You're not going to last long in business if you're not making any money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It should, it should be somewhere up there, but, but it's probably not the most important thing. And uh, so, People aren't always operating from their own values. And I think that's often why people don't feel very fulfilled in their work or in their business, because they're not actually thinking about what's going to be fulfilling to them. And they think about what's going to put food on the table and what's going to set them up for a nice retirement and things like that. There's nothing wrong with thinking those things. But, you know, if if fulfillment is something that's important to you, that's only going to get you so far. You, You need to go deeper into these values that we're talking about. How how do we do that? How do we find out and know if we're actually living or working within our values?
1: It's it's a, it comes from self-awareness and it's it's part of it's part of a manager's job as well in terms of serving their team to help their team uncover their values if that's what they want. I mean, not everybody wants to to go down this path and that's okay. But by working with your team, so working with a staff member who reports to you, for example, is part of the, you know, the the much-dreaded six-monthly performance review. It's not just about how you're performing at work. It's about what your personal goals are. It's about unpacking what matters most to you that year and finding ways to support that person. You can also pick it up in the language that they use. So, um, for example, if they're like often coming up with amazing spontaneous ideas, for example, you can test that out. Maybe creativity is an important part of their life. Is there somewhere in their role where they could champion some change within the organisation? Or if connection is really important to them, as well as doing the role that they're doing, could they be helping on the social club uh, committee, for example? So it's about understanding those things that they talk about, that not just The activities that they are sharing, you know, what they did on the weekend, but also the way that they're talking about things can help you understand whether this person has a high degree for certainty or this person has a high degree for innovation. The way that they talk about it and the things that they're saying will leave clues. And it's the manager's responsibility to pick up those clues and to help them to fashion a way of completing their role in a way that also fulfills those values.
0: Yeah. I, I've heard from a number of people who do like hiring positions that like one of the things that primarily people will hire for, especially those who who have a sort of community in their business, is fit. They you, you have to be able to fit into the community. So I guess mm-hmm. you have to at least be uh, exploring or having a good sense of what somebody's values are to be able to and to know whether they would fit or not. But what if what if and I don't know if this be something that could or would happen, yeah. you start to dive into somebody's values or get a sense of that and, it, and they don't really fit with the general values or, or the company values or the culture.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? I think if you're delving into that, you probably already know. There's probably already clues that they're not entirely comfortable in the environment or they're not happy within the role. And then it can be just a matter of helping them to unpick those values because sometimes it can be the result of our upbringing, you know, that nature versus nurture, yeah. or is it both? Um, you know, and so people aren't aware of a particular value. But deep down, subconsciously, there may be a yearning to learn more about that value, which is why they are attracted to your organization. So just because you're uncovering somebody if you has values where you think, oh, hang on, this doesn't quite work, doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't something going on subconsciously that you can help them to bring to the surface.
0: Right. So people's values are not set in stone. They can change, they can evolve yes, and
1: adapt. They can evolve and adapt
0: for sure. How important is it in terms of results to be focused on the influence and persuasion that we talk about as a service? Like in terms of the difference it makes to. To the company in terms of the difference it makes with sales and customer relationships and those kinds of things?
1: So in terms of influence, if, if our basic premise is the fact that we're seeking to understand somebody, so when we're making a sales call, we're seeking to understand them not just to sell them a widget or when we're reaching out to the marketing team, we already have a relationship with them and we can be like, oh Mary seems a bit down today, what can I do to support her all of those things are coming together to make an organization firstly more agile, but also more has a greater ability to respond to what they're bringing in through their customers. Because when you have a sales team who is in chain with the customer to the extent that they understand their values and they understand what matters to them, you get more innovation in terms of your product roadmap but you also get that greater sense of loyalty and brand evangelization between the customer and the organization as well. So it can have a huge impact, not just on like the financial bottom line, but also, you know, what we talked about earlier in terms of improving our our staff's health and well-being through their immunity and mental health and just generally feeling supported and helping them to feel more loyal and to feel proud of where they're working.
0: Right. I, I've seen so interesting, there's a guy, I think his name's Dan Price, and he's a CEO of, of a company in the US, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but um, I see a lot of what he posts on Twitter. And one of the things I really like about him is that he talks about fairness in in the business and, um, and not having these ridiculous CEO salaries and making sure that everyone is actually getting well paid, and that there shouldn't be this huge disparity that we now have between people at the lower end, roles of the business the people who are at the top um because it's utterly crazy that uh, so much so much company money has to go into doing that and and i see that those values he expresses those values a lot he he also does a good job of highlighting where other people are are really just running on corporate greed or um trying to screw over their workforce because they're not uh, they they just want to get more money out of them (laughs) And it's important to have those voices. And sadly, they're, they're still few and far between. But what you see is when somebody like him uh, opens up jobs in their business, they get overwhelmed with applications because people want to work for a company that's actually going to value them and pay them fairly and and has these really strong values. And I think we see that a lot, that people do do talk about businesses and companies that have these strong values that they like Mm -hmm. just as much just as much as we talk about the ones that have have the opposite um people really want to see that kind of change they want to see more corporate caring less less of this sort of cold um almost sociopathic nature of business Mm -hmm. where emotion emotions get pushed aside for the bottom line and it's all about how much money can we make for our shareholders, which we still see is the prevalent kind of business attitude, but we do see the shoots of change at least, or we see some pushback against that. Mm. But it's interesting to see those values and contrast them and how attractive that is, because I think many people don't feel recognized or rewarded or seen or valued in the roles or businesses that they work in. I think this is a bigger issue, not a bigger issue, but it's a different issue for people who are self-employed yeah. who don't have it, who don't have anyone other than their customers, <laughs> perhaps, Just... yeah, to help them feel valued. They have to do a lot of self-validation work, but the, the validation stuff, the, the recognition and reward stuff is really important.
1: Right? Oh. And it's really interesting because there's a lot of research coming out at the moment, well, it has been coming out for a little while now, around the millennial workforce and the fact that, they have different expectations about their work and that they're looking for places where <clears throat> they can experience their values, they feel validated, they feel looked after, they feel cared for, whereas the different workforces that have come before, that hasn't necessarily been to the fore, not because it didn't matter to them, but because they didn't know that they were allowed to ask for it.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting to me because I, I maybe see a, an, another side to that, which is having worked with as clients, a lot of business owners who have been hiring millennials in and and many of them will say the same things of uh uh, they have a struggle in actually getting people to work and i don't know if this is a millennial thing it's just i just know it's a common issue Mm. that has been coming up and and those that theme seems come come across as well Uh, and maybe that is an incentivization thing maybe it is a values thing about actually having people come in and almost feeling like they're doing you a favor by yeah, like uh, being there yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, there's a lot of that attitude around now and and i wonder it I and mean, maybe it's not really sort of along the path of what we're talking about but i wonder if you have any thoughts on
1: i think it's really difficult isn't it because we're looking at a real step change in relation to um you know that that sense of entitlement that a lot of the researchers is reporting back um in relation to the millennial workforce and i think Part of the challenge is that the older workforce doesn't really know how to deal with it. Um, and, And I think it's also a sign of our times, you know, where things are moving quickly, things are much more instantaneous. Whereas before, you know, when you went to work, you started at the bottom sweeping the floor and then you worked your way up and you were patient and you did your time and eventually you got Whereas now when we're looking at a lot of our businesses are information-based and they're relying on these people having this expertise, there isn't that same sense of regulation that there was before. And so you get that disconnect between the two parts of the workforce where one is coming in and saying, well, I know all this stuff and not really acknowledging that there's a whole lot of other stuff that they haven't yet experienced. And then, you know, there's the other part of the workforce that's saying, well, you have to do your time because I had to do my time. I think it's really challenging.
0: Mm. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And I don't know, I don't have the answer for that. But I, I do think um, we can work more. I think we ultimately have to work together to try and figure out what the solution is, right? Work with the uh, younger generation who are coming into business and uh, find the ways that work to actually communicate and to um, motivate and infuse them. And and maybe that is more about speaking to their values than saying, "Hey, I'm paying you a salary; you're supposed to do this, this, and this." Uh, it might be it might mean having to have a bit more of an emotional connection with your employees, yeah. and perhaps those people who are resistant to that. I, I don't know what the solution is. I, I'm I'd be interested to hear from anyone who does have thoughts and and maybe even some uh, some solutions and, and plans that have been working for them. To, to fix it. it seems to be a common, fairly common issue. Yes. I want to come, yeah, swing us, swing us back to um, more corporate values. I, I know that from having done a bit of consulting work in the past, a lot of companies will bring in performance consultants and they'll just get this whole, and then maybe have you there for a few days or a week or a couple of weeks, and they just want all these recommendations. They'll stick up a plaque that says "These these are our values. And that's it. We've done. That's our values. They're up on the wall. You know what they are now. And they're not actually doing anything with that other than saying, hey, look, we've got this nice shiny plaque that says what our values are, can point to that and tell you. But if you actually look around at the culture or the actions of the business, you won't see those values represented anywhere. I think that is a a big challenge for people these days of uh, just one thing to state values, but another thing to actually live them. Is that something that you've seen as
1: well? Well, I have, and I've been a while back, like I'm talking probably... Ten, probably 10, 15 years ago, I was in an organisation where, you know, the consultants came in and they they got all the brand colours and they pasted up the values on the wall of the meeting rooms and you'd go into a meeting and it would still be people shouting at each other and I think one of the values at the top was something about integrity or compassion or something like that and these meetings would be the absolute opposite of it. You know, and again, it's like, it's about reaching back to that, that what we talked about in the beginning around authenticity Um, and honesty and I think you know the times have gone where you can paste the values on the wall and behave in a different way Um, you know the technology is there so that people can be more honest about it and be more vocal about it Um, and I also think that you know the workforce is demanding that we have that integrity as well I think that sort of thing it it comes from the top you know what needed to happen in that meeting was for the manager who was leading that meeting to say this behavior is not okay. Um, and I'm I'm hopeful that we see more of that as time goes on. It's certainly improved over the last 15 years, but I think in a number of organisations, it still has quite a way to go.
0: Yeah, I used to I used to work for the airlines years ago, even before we ever worked together. And um, and in that time, um, I I was very aware because every year we had to do this that, uh, in our. Um, what they call annual checks when you had to be relicensed on different aircraft. There would also be this element of what they call CRM, crew resource management. I know CRM stands for different yeah. things in different, but in the airlines, it is crew resource management. And um, and what that was was about having better communication between crew and pilots, because traditionally there had been this whole thing of almost like the the captain. Was like, God, you know, what the captain says goes. You don't contradict the captain. And, um, and and there was certainly, I encountered captains who were like that. But what they found was that whole, I guess, much like surgeons in hospitals, that whole culture was responsible for a lot of accidents because people were afraid to speak up if it contradicted the captain or, People were afraid to report something uh, and would keep their mouth shut for fear of being thought stupid or shouted at by the by the captain or the surgeon or whatever. You know those sorts of seniority based sort of positions where seniority has the final say and and that is mm-hmm. it. Um, whereas they what the airlines have been working on um, because it has led to catastrophes, plane crashes, so they had mm-hmm. to do it um, was having a having a place of communication where the the people at the top of the chain had to listen to the people further down the chain and that any valid concern should be expressed and fed back and that there wouldn't be any negativity to come that, or if there was if there was like um, intimidation or bullying or anything like that that there was a uh, also a a management culture that would deal with that. Now, I, I couldn't say speak to how effective all of that is in, in terms of does it stop it altogether? Mm-hmm. Probably not, but it certainly has uh, educated people and reduced that and created more of a culture of, of communication. Uh, and yet, the business world is still catching up on mm-hmm. a lot of this. Uh, and uh, you wonder how many how many business catastrophes are caused because people won't listen to the voices further down, or they they think they know better. And yet inevitably, on the climb up to the top, you lose touch with a lot of what's going on in the day-to-day and, uh, and how people really are or what really is the state or nature of business. As you work your way up, you get more isolated. Yeah. I mean, that, that's inevitable. And, and so it's finding those ways to make sure that make, maybe not just make sure that you don't get so isolated, but to make sure that people's voices are being listened to and that, uh, that people are valued and, and heard. And that um, if there is something that's being fed back, that it doesn't get shouted down, mm-hmm. that it doesn't get bullied away, it doesn't, doesn't get uh, ignored for the sake of somebody else's ego or, uh, well, I guess it is generally for mm. ego, right?
1: It's about introducing the possibility of consequences, isn't it? And I think, you yeah. know, in the past, there's perhaps not been the consequence of shouting down somebody who has a good idea.
0: Yeah. yeah yeah it could be it could be a lot of that when it comes to when it comes to how businesses are being are being seen there are, are there businesses or corporations that you think are a good example of how to do it right?
1: I think when I look back on because I've worked for a variety of organizations um you know because I work as a consultant um and so when I look back on it, it's kind of like a patchwork because there are. Particular things that particular organizations did really well. That if you brought them all together, it would be a great organization. You know, like I think about early on in my career, the CEO who used to walk the floor every morning knew everybody's name, he knew their family, he knew what was going on, he knew everything that was going on in that organization. Um, and I think of a different CEO who sake, his corner office with the amazing views so that he could sit in the middle of an open plan office simply so that he could be approachable and again so that he had an understanding of what was going on across the floor i think for me there seems to be a theme around approachability of the leadership
0: something we could all be be better at um how important do you think that is for people who maybe are in business by themselves or with or, or with, with small teams? I mean, what, what would be the, the difference there and how beneficial would that I be? I
1: think one of the things I learned the hard way um, from being in my own business is around the importance of networks and having conversations with people who aren't necessarily in your organization. I remember when I first started working for myself, because I'm naturally an introvert anyway, It's quite easy for me to hole up in my office and beaver away and not sort of raise my head for weeks. You know, it's my natural inclination. And so, but what I discovered was that I was missing out on the water cooler talk. You know, I was starting to feel a little bit lonely because the conversations I was having was conversations with patients or with clients. You know, it was conversations where I couldn't really be like, so what did you do last Saturday? You know, that sort of thing. So I really missed that connection that you get from being in the workplace. And so, if anything, that was the biggest lesson for me. I actually have to actively go out and find opportunities to have those conversations.
0: Yeah, I can I can honestly say the same thing as uh, uh, for someone who would regularly be having uh, often quite um, I say quite um, inappropriately intimate chats of work with people in the airlines who seem to just open up about everything, uh, and and also think that the galley curtains are soundproof. <laughs> Um, but <laughs> to um, to to coming and, and working for myself and not really having those moments or not really having that little community where you can where you can chat like that had to find it had to create it for myself and uh, and and thankfully have done that H- have done that because we otherwise do get a bit too isolated and insulated. And I think uh, we we if we've learned one thing through COVID is that we uh we suffer when we spend too much time on it
1: absolutely the other thing that's really made a difference for me is using masterminds and you know just having someone i can bounce off and say hey i'm thinking about this what do you think or have you tried to do something like that you know and it just helps to speed up that evolution process because you know in the workforce you can go to the guy down down the corridor and say hey what do you think about this whereas when you're in your own business it's more difficult
0: I would second that as well. I have i uh, I'm actually meeting with my mastermind group uh, yeah. later today and uh, it's, it's been one of the best things, one of the best things I've ever done or ever had. And to an extent where I'm like, why did I never do this sooner? And, uh, and also masterminding with a, a really phenomenal group of people. It, it matters who you yeah. must mind with, right? But it's good that we're not all doing the same thing, but we all have similar yeah. objectives uh, and we all get, uh, create we've created that safe space that we were talking about a bit earlier of what like, we can be vulnerable we can say what's really going on we're not having to project out an image of i am the biggest business success yeah. or anything like that as so i can say actually this is not yeah. going so well and uh and and not be judged negatively because yeah, actually yeah i'm having that issue as well Oh, i'm having that issue too and I think, all right this isn't yeah. just me then uh, it, that's that stuff is so, so important it
1: feels better when you've got two or three people going oh yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> it does uh, you know i i know i've joined a few business networks for that for that very thing before, is like, uh, well you know I'm trying to be a bit more strategic about some of my business networking these days but uh, but it does it does make a difference having uh you need to have some some at least one person who you can ring up and maybe just chew the cud with or just unload everything with or yeah you know, all, all those kinds of things it, it makes a yeah, difference when when it comes to when it comes to influence uh, as i say is what what are the things that uh that you see that you see as being most influential and what are the things that we should be focused on the most if we want to be more influential and therefore this i
1: think um the then this one came this one wasn't on a a natural Thing for me being an introvert but it's the importance of the network you know so like when you're in an organization it's important to get to know everyone it's important to get to know what matters most to them because again you know when you're wanting to persuade someone you can't really go up to someone that you haven't spoken to for a year and try and talk them into doing something you know persuasion comes from hanging out with them for a year understanding what matters most to them and then you know being that influential pivot point if you like but also finding a way to make things work for them as well as what works for you because influence isn't about me getting what I want. Influence is about us both winning. So I would say that the, the biggest thing is the fact that everyone's watching. You never know when you're making a difference to somebody's life, even if it's just one tiny small thing in a coffee shop. You know, it's always, always about helping people to feel seen, helping them to feel heard, helping them to feel understood.
0: Yeah, and if we can support that in other people, in other people, or in in general in society, then I think uh, we we can go a long way. Yeah, you know, uh, people often think uh, the small acts don't make much of a difference, but as you say, people being seen sometimes seeing somebody giving money to somebody who's living on the streets, or or seeing somebody pick up a bit of trash and put it in the bin, um, mm. that has influence. Totally. That shows people shows people that there's caring going on. It shows people that people, uh, caring about their environment, caring about the vulnerable, um, those sorts of actions have influence. And you might you might not think that much of it, but they they can make a, a huge impact. And, and you just never know. Somebody I, I've had many stories of people who are just who have been well at at the edge, they're you know, thinking that uh, you know, they couldn't go on, and then seeing mm-hmm. one little. Act of kindness, or having just some random person smile in their direction, and recognise, hey, actually, there is some kindness around. There is some love in the world, and uh, and maybe it's not so yeah, bad after mean, all.
1: Living in that and, uh, that world where everybody every day is like, I'll oh, just do one random act of kindness today. What a great world that would be.
0: I would like to live in that world. <laughs> it's interesting, Tracy. I was I was writing a blog article about this at the weekend that I, that I published, and uh, so it's very interesting to be talking about that now. And I uh, as really saying about how uh, we we will talk about, you know, be part of the solution, but we don't always think about how could I be a bit kinder today, or how could I be a bit more loving in my interaction. And we have to connect with that in ourselves. We have to find that in ourselves. Have some some love and care for ourselves and project that out into the world uh, and i do I, I was thinking particularly of like a few people who i've connected with um i did a, a recent interview with a guy called uh, mark Asquith, who just a really nice guy big in the world of podcasting super nice guy um one of the founders of captivate fm which is a podcasting hosting service and and just like very natural to chat to, you know, the rapport was instant and easy. We're both from the north of England, you know, that, that probably helps a bit as well. And another lady, Janie Ainsworth, who just, fantastic woman. These, the, some of these people just have this ability to make you feel comfortable and um, like you've known them for ages, even if you've just met them. And how much I really like that is, I don't know how good I am at that. It's like, it's hard to see yourself uh, I hope mm-hmm. to be good at that. I work on being better at being that person, especially as a, as a podcaster and an interviewer is, is yeah. an important skill. Uh, being like yourself, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty introvert. And uh, so I also w- try and work on being less introverted and push the needle towards more. I think I'm more of an ambivert mm-hmm. now, hopefully, but the, the, the reality is you can, you yeah. can change these things and you can make a difference, but it has to matter. And the, uh, if we think it doesn't matter or if we think we can just carry on in our own little bubble then we carry on as we were before and nothing changes but when you recognize that things can you start looking for the change start being that you will start to see it you we start to see what we're putting out there as well as the whole sort of philosophy of perception is projection and uh, we have to start putting out that stuff into the world because if we're stuck in victim mentality or if we think the world's a terrible crappy place and it can be um that's but that's if we're focused only on that we're not seeing the other side of life as well uh where, where things are good like you know we, we all i think probably many of us uh switch between having complete despair for the future of humanity to feeling complete the feeling like there's hope there's hope and uh uh, and there's good people out there and we probably switch between those a lot depending on what we've been yeah. seeing and experiencing but both of those sides yeah, we one without the other and and we... right there, there's very much there's very much that but also we can get we can get stuck in just mm-hmm. focusing on the negative because that's what our brains are more drawn towards but uh the the positive side is, yeah. is still there as well there's always going to be good yeah, in the world Yeah, although it's a nice thing to to be thinking about. I wondering, Tracy, are people who may be interested in your coaching program or want to find out a bit more about you, what's going to be the the best way? The best way
1: to find me is by checking out my blog, projectjoyful.com, and my podcast by the same name, Project Joyful.
0: Always good speaking with (laughs) other podcasters. Tracy, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. I've really enjoyed the conversation. If there was, above everything else we've talked about, just one thing you hope people will take away the most from our conversation today, what would you like? The that
1: to one be? thing that I would love for everyone to take away is just to give themselves permission to be gentle with themselves.
0: I like that. So, yeah, give yourself permission to be gentle with yourselves. Tracy, we are going to wrap things up there. Tracy Tati, thank you so much for coming and being my it's guest. It's been
1: a pleasure. It's been lovely talking with you as always, Johnny.
0: Thanks for tuning in, hope you've enjoyed the show and that you will do your best to be a little bit kinder to yourself. I also hope that you're really taking away from this what it takes to create psychological safety in working environments and how we as leaders are able to become more ethically and effectively influential and persuasive in those circumstances. Now, if you do want to get hold of even more Podfluence, then do join me and hundreds of others for the Podfluence weekly newsletter so that you can get additional insights and articles on growing your coaching business for the long term. You'll find the links in the show notes. For now though, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, have an amazing rest of your day. Go and make great things happen.